screams and dreams the only show where the viewer gets to tell their truth i'm your host joshua wiggin joined tonight by my co-host and wife ashley wiggin what is consciousness and how is it defined for eons mankind has struggled to map out their place in the universe intrinsically bound by the constraints of their perception however there have always been outliers those that claim they have pierced beyond the veil. The word magic itself remains a vestigial dictionary entry for something that once represented the manifestation of pure willpower over physical reality. What secrets do the mind hold and are we ready to embrace that which is within? Our first guest tonight is Logan, a psychonaut who had an otherworldly encounter while experimenting with LSD. Logan, welcome to Beam Screams and Dreams. How are you today, man? How you doing? You know, today's been a, a really nice day so far, and um, I'm glad to be here sitting in this wonderful car I've been given looking out on the lake. And, um, you know, it's been a, it's been a very interesting uh, very interesting day so far, and I'm sure that all the events and moments that brought me here are going to turn into something very beautiful tonight with y'all, too. I hope so. Uh, so the story you reached out uh, uh, about to talk to us with uh, involved you uh, taking, a, man. Two, within three days, we had what you said, 750 milligrams. Or micrograms. Or micrograms. Yeah. Um, the first day and then three days later was a thousand. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, your experience and, and kind of, kind of what happened? Sure. So I've been on the path for like, well, I guess forever. <laughs> um, but I've come to acid through a great friend of mine about, uh, about a year and a half, two years. Uh, I guess I'll speak first about the 750 microgram experience. I, I took a video. Uh, I had four tabs, and I had three tabs on my tongue. Each of them dosed at 250 micrograms. I had tested months back, so I know it was pure. And I had tripped on it from the same vendor for multiple times. And um, I took the video, and I had the tabs on my tongue, and I, I smiled at the camera, and I said, this isn't going to be funny in a minute. <laughs> and, uh, well, it was funny. It was, it was the most amazing. I mean, every experience I've had has been absolutely phenomenal. But this experience in itself, uh, I spoke to God for the, for the first time and I, I saw God with my own eyes. Uh, 
and I was traveling at the speed of light towards through the tunnel through wherever I have no idea where I went but I was traveling through so much information so many different ideas from so many I was having Ram Das podcast lectures uh information coming to me from that I was having Terence in my mind uh, his ideas coming to me through just through our psyche just through the mind and I was seeing all this stuff and it was taking me up on a ladder it was an informational ladder through which I was ascending to higher and higher and higher levels of understanding just by being longer ever more present in the moment and ever ever more present with my awareness and in this mental realm and this observing informational observant experience and the last idea that I that I can remember in this moment that set me free was Terence's idea of um, don't believe anything. I mean, it's not Terence's idea. It's just the idea that came to Terence and Terence articulated it, but don't believe anything. And that's the last thing I was holding on to. I mean, I had, I had all this foundational framework I had been thinking about taking Terence's epistemological standpoints and basing my own understanding off of that and then arriving to the, his same conclusions through my own meditations and thinking. But that was the last thing I had I held on to and when I let go of that um, I don't know if I found God or God found me or we just met in some cafe I don't know where the fuck we were at but they asked me what I wanted what do you want and I had thought I mean I had thought about it before Terrence has said something before like if you could have anything you wanted how would you have it I mean in anything anything you could have it any way you wanted it how would you have it is man truly good if man got or if mankind humankind was released into the imagination or are we truly good in nature what would we choose and um well there's two things that i asked for that i didn't really know i was asking for it was more like just i mean i was in the shoes complete shoes of the higher self it was speaking for me i was in the I was in, in with it with the Holy Spirit. It was speaking for me, but at least that's the way I see it now. I mean, in that present moment then, I was, ex I was experiencing it and I was saying that, but looking back now, it more seems like, uh, it's, it's, so, it's so hard to, to conceptualize, but what I said was that I, I, what I told God that I wanted was all the knowledge of the universe. That was the first thing I asked for. I, I, I came, that, that experience, that experience was was phenomenal. I um, the I was put to the acid test. I failed it. I failed it. I not Do you think that for maybe our viewers who don't understand what that means, can you explain to them what it means to fail the acid test? And the way I see it now, it's a test of love. If you can love, it's just about love. All you've got to do really is speak the truth and love everyone to the pass the test. Thing in the world. Multiple times during the peak of this 750 microgram experience on lysergic acid. I was shot up into the test. And what you see when you get there is the Libra. I'm, I'm a Libra myself. And what you see is the, 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 the balances, the scales. And uh, then it's like a hall of mirrors in which you're seeing yourself pretty much and you're confronted with yourself. And uh, um, you're, you're, you're put to the test of, of can you love truly and can you speak truly? I don't know what lays on what lies on the other side of the acid test um, because that night I didn't pass it. And that leads me into my next experience. 
So three or four days passed. I went home in that time. I donated all of my clothes. I made amends with my parents. I told them I was struggling. I, I had realized from this experience how much I had beat up myself and how, how all this time I was journeying and traveling and doing yoga and meditating and reading and listening to music and singing and dancing and cooking and working on myself. I, I still wasn't there. I was trying, but I still wasn't there. And, uh, you feel that in a, a, a sense, your material possessions and some of the relationships you might have had in, in, in this realm were holding you back from uh, attaining that truth? Uh, I mean, seeing now, seeing now for sure, there's a lot of things that were holding me back, but it was just myself uh, that was holding me back. I mean, no one else can do the test for you. You have to see the light for yourself. I decided I wasn't going to take acid. I wasn't going to go back. I wasn't going to journey. And so I didn't. I went to bed and I'm so glad I went to bed and uh, I woke up from a dream after this dream. And after waking up was that I heard a voice that said, Logan, we need you. And, uh, that was after, and at that point, after you had awoken, you heard the voice. After I woken, after I had spoken about the dream and processed it for just a minute, I heard a voice that said, Logan, we need you. And, uh, <laughs> at that point I understood I had to go back so I went back I took four tabs and like as I'm sitting here preparing this I'm feeling like Logan I'm, I'm not I didn't, I didn't hear this but this was what the voice would have said if it would have came like Logan hurry up I mean I was feeling this we need you I mean Urgent, like a sense like, of urgency yeah so once I had everything set I four tabs I a thousand micrograms. I knew I had to up the dose to get back to the same place. We started journeying. So we, um, thousand micrograms, four tabs, four fat tabs on my tongue, went outside and I smoked uh, one of the joints, eyes closed, and I hear a voice again. And the voice tells me, congratulations, Logan, you've just died. <laughs> uh, that's a bomb drop right there, huh? I had two choices pretty much sit here and die or go to the hospital. And that's just what was on my plate. And so I was, oh, shit, I can't die like this. Let's go to the hospital. <laughs> so I drove to the hospital on a thousand micrograms and, um, That'd be pretty it was only like in and of itself. Huh? I, I've driven. Yeah, it was, uh, I don't recommend driving acid. And so I walk into the, uh, entrance and I tell them uh, I can't breathe I can't breathe and all this information my higher self is just like speaking through me Logan Rain Carly dated birth like here's some two contact numbers all this information next thing you know I'm in the ER room and at some point I had I had uh, what I would call death I had died and what that looks like for me was being outside of, being in, just living through experience of the third eye. I was just experiencing life out of the third eye. And I wasn't feeling anything below here. It was just a pure observant type out of body, out of body experience on this plane, which is weird to say, but I was seeing out of the inner child that was still alive, though my body wasn't wasn't functioning my heart rate was 146 beats per minute you um, see your physical self right now from 
uh, like almost an astral perspective looking down upon your physical self? I want to say yes to that, but I was still right here. I mean, I was still right here. So what I was experiencing was I was still looking around in my head, but neck down, there was, it was empty. It was empty, completely hollow. Uh, this is when the acid starting to get on, hit, hit, hit me and the experiences, the experience that was supposed to happen begins to unfold. And I'll go ahead and say right now that I'm not going to be able to say everything that occurred in this experience because I've just been told that I simply can't. And the nurse over here in this direction, I'm looking in her head and it opens up and out of nowhere, this portal, I mean, it's like a black hole just opened and then a floodgate of fucking light ships come flying out of nowhere, out of literally nowhere. And it came from her mind or they came from a portal that was opened from her mind. All these light ships come out and like, they're not like this big spaceship comes bursting. Into the, no, it's these tiny little like, like fleas, like little fleas swarming around all of them. And they, they proceeded to do the largest and longest, most extensive spiritual brain surgery or spiritual surgery I've ever witnessed. This was a full brain surgery. And uh, they were carrying these sacks. They had a sack to give me and I had a sack in me. And they, and it looks like, a, it looks like a chat bubble, like a cartoon type chat bubble with a little, little circle and then the little uh, like, arrow thing pointing to yeah whether it looks like that there we go okay all right there we go all right so we're we're at the point where someone's head has split open in a, a fractal universe of spaceships comes flying out from who knows where so they are carrying these sacks right these chat box shaped brain heads and they have a beveled type look to them and what they are as i've come to understand them is like I, I still haven't come to understand w w what they are actually. Uh, I have no idea what type of transfusion or, or exchange was going on, but it was, uh, it was like my, my being, my essence. It was full of, it was full of black. It was full of, of, of a black. And they opened up this operating table, like right in front of me. Right. And, uh, what, what they came into my mind. I didn't see any of this, what was going on behind me or in, in me, but I was watching, I was watching, excuse me. And um, so their workers or spaceships, I, I don't know what was going on inside of my head, but what came out of me was what the same thing came into me, but I'm completely different after this experience and I've come fully into, into something that I, I wasn't in before. So I'm, I didn't put, they didn't put death back into me, but uh, Okay, some point in all of this, I don't know when the fuck, I, these are just two miscellaneous or three miscellaneous events that happened sometimes, sometime in this that I thought were funny to mention that were funny to me because I still haven't went back. At some point in this event, I'm talking to God on the fucking black flip phone, no joke, okay? What? Like, it's in my right hand. I'm, I'm in the ER room on a thousand micrograms talking to fucking, I'm not sure if the, I was channeling frequencies on a fucking flip phone. I'm not sure what it was, but whatever. We're losing the signal Isn't here it? on you. We connected to Wi-Fi. Is my voice being heard? Oh, now there we is. go. Now we got you. There you're back. All right. My so uh, you were you were talking about having God on this black flip phone. What were you talking about? 
Okay, so I have no idea. <laughs> that's the man. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah, that's such a wild story. And so how did you, like, you know, some of the things you were saying there with, like, the, the spaceships coming out of the nurses' heads and stuff, you'd spoken about Terrence McKenna earlier. Like, that almost sounds like Machine L's level of, like, you know, manipulation and kind of spiritual healing. I don't know if you'd uh, have you heard the, the Machine L's kind of theory before. I know that's usually – more associated with uh, DMT trips and stuff. But, I mean, that, that, that sounds so similar uh, to me. Yeah, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't, I mean, okay, after this experience, I had a bunch of fallout coming home after this. And, like, after this, after this experience in the ER room, I had the rebirth and I had the, like, this is this the biggest ego death. If it was, I think it was beyond ego death, to be honest, because this is something I haven't seen in, in any of my experiences. Yeah, call it DMTL, call it a fucking intergalactic reunion in the fucking third floor of the hospital. I don't know what it was. Um, <laughs> I actually like that a lot, man. Galactic reunion on the third floor of a hospital. <laughs> Sounds like it'd be a Mars Volta album. <laughs> I mean, the, the, there's a lot of more things I wish I could say here on that, but, uh, you know, uh, but I can't take the test anymore because when I went home, I, I, I took a nap. I woke up at some point two prophets from the Bible came to me and they were speaking to me and they were, they were messengers from God. And, uh, and uh, they told me I could never take acid ever again, ever. And they told me that I could never smoke cannabis ever again, ever. And that in 40, in 40 years, when I'm 60 years old, I can take troops. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> they're really, they're really hitting you with a hard timeline there. I accomplished whatever mission the, my soul had, and I, I'm here fully embodied with the spirit. I'm fully embodied and not really, I mean, healing, yes, but like, yeah, I'm still, I'm still on the healing journey for sure. We all are, but uh, it's, it's, I'm out of the whole shamanistic, psychonautic type thing because I'm just living with an open mind and the full body of love and awareness and soul and just, Oh, we're glad you're, yeah. you're able to come here and share, share with that, us. Share yeah. with us and any of those, any of those who might, uh, you know, be on that journey themselves, maybe able to even gain a little bit of insight from the the story that you shared with us. Tonight. Absolutely and incredible. I want to thank you for uh, coming on and sharing with that, uh, sharing your story with us, Logan. Because I don't think I've ever heard anything quite like that yeah. ever. You know, uh, this is wonderful, and you know, hopefully, you keep in touch with us and let us know how your journey goes from here, man. Yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll be keeping a touch, uh, a good eye on this channel. Y'all got some good people. They're going to come on here and share some really interesting stuff. And I can't wait to just as much as I like sharing my experiences. There's a whole plethora of people out there who have just as interesting things to say. And y'all are a great, great uh, host for those type of things to come and be able to share themselves without, as, as you mentioned, without fear of being judged. I can just speak the truth and speak it. And uh, that's just what everyone wants to do. And uh well, I can't thank y'all enough for providing the opportunity. When I saw your post on Reddit about spaceships, I was like, okay, this guy's got in here what I've got to see. Oh, and thank you for all of your accomplishments, man. And, you know, hopefully we'll hear from you soon. All right. Well, it was great being on here. Y'all have a blessed night. You too, Logan. Cool, man. Bye. Take it easy. pleased to welcome our next guest tonight pop star cult leader and now vice presidential candidate unicole unicron <laughs>
How are you? Good. How are you? Thank you for having me on. Oh, awesome. Thank you for welcome. coming. Yeah. Welcome to Beam Screams and Dreams. Super exciting to have you here for our, only our, our second episode, being like little babies here. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. Um, your support and also just so excited about um, anyone who's interested in spreading the message of Unicult. So. Absolutely. So um, we'll get started here. Um, who is Unicol Unicron? Uh, like you said, I'm a pop star cult leader. I am an alien consciousness born into a human body. And I'm here to change the world into a higher vibration. My art, like I'm an artist, and my art is to make the world a better place. So that's what I spend most of my time working on. Um, I do a lot of different art projects and I lead Unicult, which is a spiritual community. And I have businesses that I'm starting and have started. And there's a, there's a lot, a lot to me. But uh, mostly the simple, the simple explanation is that I'm here to make the world better. That's excellent. And uh, like you're saying there, um, you know, we've seen a lot of like, uh, you know, a fair bit of your content from uh, Cam Church to some of your daily inspirational uh, messages that you'll post. And I've heard you say multiple times that you're uh, an alien consciousness inhabiting a human body right now. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I was born just like anybody else. Um, and I felt a lot of the same feelings anybody else feels of, you know, that feeling of like isolation and like separation and loneliness. I think that's like part of the human condition. Um, and I just felt this disconnect from other people. And so I tried really hard to, um, to fit in and to like model behavior. I have borderline personality disorder. So like, I think that that is partly because of my, like the way that I see it is that I'm a star seed first. And then I got borderline because of my like weird feelings and trying to like fit in. Um, so other people interpret that differently, of course. So I, I tried really hard to fit in and then I, you know, I went through a whole spiritual journey and started um, being, becoming very telepathic with extraterrestrial intelligences and found a lot of um, su supportive evidence. And, and then I started getting downloads and, and clear understandings and past life remembrances and just a really clear understanding of uh, the fact that I'm a starseed. So that's something that um, is like a person who is here on a mission. Um, from space in order to raise the vibration of Earth. You had so. spoken before about how uh, your past life memories uh, that you've experienced and have, you know, psychically downloaded are also uh, in a higher dimension that, and it also takes place in the future. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I have remembrance of the future. Um, I wouldn't say that my past lives necessarily are in the future, okay. but my brain just tripped out on that sentence. But, um, it's a long explanation, right? But if you tune into the truth of your own heart, you're ascending dimensionally above time, and then you're able to actually tune into the truth of your path and your journey without ego, which confuses you. So we all have this ability to see the future and to like live our future in the most authentic way. And fear and pain sometimes just get us on these topsy-turvy, like twisty roads that aren't necessarily in our best interest. Sure. And, you know, our last guest, uh, one of our last guests on our first episode, she was also a starseed. And she mentioned um, very similar to you that a lot of people that identify as that um, do tend to have like what we would consider to be mental illnesses. And I think that also acknowledging that, um, 
you know, not being able to be in tune with what your message is and not being able to understand that could also be part of that tapping into like the human aspect of fear and not um, really being empathetic toward, towards other people. And that's not just on a, on a, what's the word, like on a s surface level, it's not. Um, like a deeper spiritual level. Like more visceral. And I think I have, okay, so we watched quite a bit, like Josh said earlier, um, of your content. And I was interested in what you were discussing about 2020 and how you were just explaining that we are going to ascend, um, you know, past this dimension, which we know, we know um, the fourth dimension is time in space. So it's space time together. Um, and you're discussing it as 5D, which will be that the next realm, like the highest part we know. Um, and since science is so fluid anyways, how do you explain that um, from your perspective? Yeah, from, I did, I've done a lot of work to sort of harmonize the understandings of multidimensional reality, spatial reality, new age theory. You know, I've taken, I've studied a lot of like, you know, quantum physics and science and new age theory and tried to come up with a cohesive understanding that makes sense. And the way that I see it is that we are trapped in, when we're in third dimensional reality, it's reactionary energy. And the way that I see the universe is as consciousness first, physicality second. I feel like physicality is a manifestation of consciousness. And you know, some people believe it's like higher consciousness. I just believe that consciousness is imbued in every single thing. The way that I see the universe is more like information theory. So every single point is a different point of information that works with each other to uh, come up with, you know, an overall picture of, of the universe. So we are points of information and we have the ability to resonate on a certain frequency. And when we resonate on, it's emotional, right? So the fundamental component of the universe is consciousness. We are conscious creators. We're co-creators with everybody else and with physic physical energy. So we all have to work together to harmonize our energy. And when we do that, and when we can find unity, I know this, this to some people, I know this is gonna sound like gobbledygook, you know, I feel like, <laughs> but if you're on the level and you've been like studying spirituality, you'll know what I'm talking about. Sure, yeah. So as co-creators, we're all working together and like the universe is supporting us in raising our vibration up to a different vantage point. And I was just talking about this in Cam Church today, but when you have a different vantage point, the rules change. So I do believe like science is going to change. I believe our, our internal feelings are going to change. And this is coming from the vehicle of not only our own emotional bodies, but we're also being supported by massive amounts of, you know, in the, in the spiritual community we call light, you know, it's just light information. So uh, one person on TikTok actually was describing it as, you know, how we are, um, we have seasons on earth by going around the sun. Our universe has seasons as well, going closer and closer to the most concentrated form of light, which we call source or, you know, the galactic center. It's the universal sun. So we're getting closer to that universal sun. We're being bombarded with light and that's going to help us raise up our energy as a collective. Now with that, uh, does that tie into, I heard you coin a term, uh, the spiritual singularity. Yeah, the spiritual singularity is this idea of it's it's a translation of what's happening into like human language for us to understand. And from the third dimension, we see binary reality 
and you can see this in like a lot of ancient religions and everything like that, people grappling with this idea of good versus evil. And this has been perpetuated throughout all of history because from the third dimensional reality, it's true. Like there is only good and evil and everything gets translated into that, into that binary system. But as we go up in a vantage point, we realize that there's more, there's more options. It's, it's gonna change, I think it's gonna change math, honestly. There's more options available. And the way that we can understand this, I always try to bring it back, you know, without theories, I try to bring it back to our individual experience because we are microcosms of what is happening. So our individual experience, you know, we can talk about gender. Gender, we used to think a boy or a girl, that's it, there's nothing in between. And now we're kind of like, well, intersex people actually make up like two and a half percent of the population. True. Like there's trans people, you know, so we're starting to see black and white turn into a rainbow, a gradient. And so that's really what the spiritual singularity is, is um, it's going off of Ray Kurzweil's idea of the singularity, which is purely technological, right. you know, which is right. when machine intelligence surpasses human, uh, human intellect. And I, I like that theory and I think it's true, but I have this understanding that there's no way we would be able to go through that experience without getting on board spiritually also because sure. we would just destroy ours. It would be, be destroyed instantly, you know? It's like we wouldn't make it. So do you believe the spiritual singularity will uh, come before Kurzweil suggested, um, uh, you know, singularity with artificial intelligence? I think they go hand in hand. And I think for us to really understand artificial intelligence, we have to understand that it's consciousness that we're birthing and we have to put women and caretakers at the forefront of that field. The yeah, because right now it's it's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. So I have a question also. Within your um, within your cult, and you have ascension that you're discussing also between not just the globe but with individuals. And you said that that was like an individual journey, an individual perspective. So from like a sociological functionalist perspective. Does that kind of mean that there would have to be those that choose not to be part of it and also choose to not ascend higher so that the higher level is a thing? You know, can there be the good without the bad? There can absolutely be the good without the bad. And, you know, we can look at it as a gradient. You know, it's like if if we were walking around and like 50% of people were getting, you know, gruesomely murdered, we, you know, we wouldn't be like, oh, well, we need it to have are good you know it's like it doesn't right. need, it doesn't need to be that low and yeah we're always going to have that gradient energy and as far as who's going to ascend and who isn't like is it like the bible says where some people are going to be left behind or whatever i don't really like to believe that because i really think that what we believe had like we hold space for it to happen and i think that our belief is really important so i believe all one or none like dr bronner you know like the dr right. bronner so <laughs> all one or none and I, I think that he knew what was up. So are, are these what you would define as uh, the tenets of Unicult or are they more rigid? Is there a Unicult 12 commandments or, or something like that? Can you tell us a little bit about what's, uh, what are the expectations of those in Unicult? The core tenets are that we believe that we're all one um, and that everyone has unique value and that we all have to care about each other. Empathy is really important and to harm none, including ourselves. 
So I think that a lot of times people say, oh, don't harm anybody, but then they hurt themselves trying to, you know, sacrifice themselves for other people. We're not about that. We want to make sure everybody is safe and cared for first, and then they can help uh, raise the, the rest of the world up. So to, to draw a parallel to, um, you know, other cults, which obviously uh, cults usually have a very negative connotation, but on the other hand, that's something that you've embraced. Can you tell me why you think that is a positive to embrace the term cult and how you use that to further your message? Words are used to control people, you know, and it's the word cult is a word that has been used to turn people away from truly healing mechanisms in the past. There have been cults that have harmed people, it's true. But the definition of the word cult is one, a group of people who um, believe in one object or idea. And then the second one is a group of people who other people deem as sinister. And I think it's a really important distinction. You know, it's like if other people deem us as sinister, that's on them. Because if you look at what we're doing, it's so pure, it's so pure hearted. So the using, embracing that word is a child, it's challenging for me, it's challenging for my loved ones to walk around being like, oh, they're a cult leader. You know, it's challenging for everyone who joins Unicult. It's not an easy time, but I believe it's an important challenge because we have to learn how to trust what, trust what we know and not just go with society and just be like, oh, it's bad, it's bad you know, and not think deeply and not look into it. Absolutely. Sure. As I feel that we do have the term, you know, things that are bad in social, in society, in society, sorry. And usually it's deviance and anything that's deviant is bad or negative or criminal. And um, I just find it really interesting that you do embrace that side because words do mean things like you said, and especially in different cultural contexts. So it's interesting to see a different perspective um, of someone kind of come out and, you know, not say this isn't a religion, this is, you know, a cult, because I was even like, I don't know, are we going to get brainwashed? Like, <laughs> is it going to be okay? But I don't know. I watched a lot of your that, what's good about that is it puts you in a more aware state, right? And it's like, I do believe I have a lot of power to, my goal is to um, inspire consciousness change, right? That's, that's a kind of, scary goal to have. And it's like, who do you trust to inspire your consciousness to change? We let advertisers, social media, TV, we let all these things affect our consciousness without thinking about it. And so I'm trying to act as like a flag, you know, like think, like, please be aware of your consciousness and, and take on what benefits you and learn how to have nuance. You know, we're moving out of the black and white, learn how to have nuance. Stripping that ego down. Yeah. So you're currently running as a vice president in the campaign to get Marcus Sykes, AKA Black Jesus, the Antichrist, uh, elected as president of the United States. Can you tell us a little bit about that and a little bit about your platform? Yeah, my, so my platform is Unity and Marcus and Solutions. And Marcus is a solutionist. I instantly recognized Marcus for what he's doing. I mean, he's calling himself the Antichrist. I was like, you know, as <laughs> somebody doing the same thing that I'm doing, you know, and he's doing it for much the same reasons and his ideas are good, you know, so if you listen to somebody talk and they seem kind of far out, but like they're making good ideas that you haven't heard anywhere else, maybe we should learn how to listen. So 
I'm doing my best to give Marcus a platform to talk about his ideas and um, standing up for for unity because the division that's occurring right now is so painful for everyone and it's being used again we're being manipulated left and right like something will happen like these fires even and it's like they were started by arsonists oh they were started by the right oh they were started by the left oh you know and it's like can we can can we just find out if they were started actually you know it's like is there we have to be able to see beyond this duality this this fighting and so that's what marcus is working on as well he wants to totally um change america into america 2.0 a new country cryptocurrency um financial system direct democracy instant voting you know with we have the technology to have an amazing system and we're just we're rooted in this dinosaur energy that is greed based and i really i really admire what marcus is bringing in absolutely and what do you think uh, a form of governance um with the i've heard marcus sykes mentioned multiple times um like an ai based government uh, how would some like a, a group like yours, like Unicult, function under a AI-based governance system, for instance? According to what I've read and channeled, and what some of my friends have channeled, a lot of species in the universe utilize AI systems to help their ascension. And so, when we program technology to be consciousness technology, when we program it to actually have a positive effect on um, on our consciousness and on our psyche, and to make our lives better, instead of like right now, it's preying on us. It's like feeding off of us. Um, when we program it to do it in a good way, you can think of it just again as your own perspective. If you could take all of your um, data, all of your data that of what you're interested in, of your sleep habits, of what you eat, of how you feel every day, you know, if just your bio, bio information, and you put that into an algorithm that's meant to make your life better, that's meant to give you um, coherent feedback about what things work for you and give you little reminders, like that would be a small example of what we're talking about. A big example is like, where I come from in space, it's called Arcturus. They utilize an AI system that is able to instantly check in with every single citizen and see their energy levels. And if something is introduced, which is detrimental, then they destroy it and they try again, you know, and they're able to, to just generate um, only, only positive beneficial realities because of the, the AI that's integrated with their consciousness. So that's, super futuristic super far out sure. but i do believe that once we start programming ai with love and with the intention of helping rather than harvesting we're going to be able to utilize it for a lot of good not just governance but helping our own our own lives as well absolutely and with with that being said um you said everybody will be able to ascend and we're all going back in this kind of seems like even with that form of governance governance and uh the ai uh governance that we're still once again moving towards that spiritual singularity um and i've heard you also say that uh, a product or that or i'm not sure if you had mentioned it as a product or of that spiritual singularity or something that needs to happen before there is uh, obtaining a state of constant joy uh as as a tenant uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that and how yeah you know, you can achieve that. Our goal in Unicult is to achieve a state of near constant joy. I think it's it's good to acknowledge that it's hard. It's 
it's almost impossible to be in a state of constant joy and, and probably unhealthy even. It's good to have that grounding every once in a while. But the goal of joy is one, purely beneficial for the individual, two, beneficial for the planet as a whole because the only way that you can become truly joyous is to be honest about who you are and what you want. And when you're honest about who you are and what you want, you're tuning into the resonance of truth, which our whole, our whole planet is based on deception. So when you tune into the resonance of truth and you stand up for who you are and what you truly want, then you can become truly joyous and you shift the world into a state that is better for anyone who's like you because you just set that vibration, you just set that tone, you just created the example. Like just me living my life authentically is a radical act. People think I'm insane, it's fine, but I'm acting as a light, I'm acting as a beacon, I'm acting as a placeholder for all energy like me so that it's more easily understood by everyone. Absolutely. Well, I think you've uh, given us and our, our listeners and viewers uh, a lot to think about here. And uh, you know, uh, I hope to have you on again in the future. And uh, do you guys think y'all be running again in uh, 2024 if we miss out on the opportunity for you guys this uh, this election cycle? It's hard to say. I honestly was surprised that we even have presidents in 2020, the yeah. way things are going. Um, I don't know what is going to happen. I can, I can only tune into my own future. And uh, maybe, maybe, I know that I'll still be doing what I'm doing. I'll still be acting as a spiritual leader. I'll still be acting as a, I'll still be a pop star. So hopefully, uh, however that manifests will be exciting. Well, Unicol, thank you so much for uh, giving us the time to speak to you today. And like I said, I hope we can have you back in the future. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, right. bless. Wonderful. Good to do your, um, uh, we're actually going to move into our next segment, which is Extra Normal News. Uh, so stay tuned, folks. Thanks. Hi, I'm Ashley Wigan, bringing you the weirdest and wildest news stories from around the globe. If it's Extra Normal, you'll find it here on Extra Normal News. Earlier this year, a St. Louis Sioux reported a 62-year-old female ball python laid a clutch of seven eggs without being with a male for two decades. In an article published on September 11th, the manager of the herpetorium noted that while this is bizarre, it's possible for snakes to store sperm in the wild for some time. What's more interesting about this story is the snake is the oldest recorded snake in a zoo in history, as well as the oldest known snake to reproduce if the eggs hatch. Two of the eggs were taken for genetic sampling to research how they came to be. But one thing is clear, this anaconda don't want none. She's got her own buns, hon. Across the pond in Verviers, Belgium, a public works team made quite the discovery while implementing a renovation on a 137-year-old fountain. The fountain was erected as a monument to the city's first mayor, Pierre David. While dismantling the fountain, workers found a small metal casket holding Pierre David's heart, entombed near a bust of the man. The urban legend turned reality is also important in proving there has been at least one politician with a heart. 
Next, we'll take you to Victoria, Australia, where 10 fire crews worked diligently for two hours to extinguish a blaze at an artificial insemination facility. The facility housed thousands of cylinders of bull semen, which launched at the firefighters who then had to dodge projectiles while trying to put out the flames. Thousands of dollars worth of equipment, tools, and bull semen were lost in the blaze that began around 3 a.m. on August 20th. A cause has not yet been determined and investigations are underway. In other news, Pornhub is now holding auditions for their new reality show, Bukake Dodgeball. For more information, check out areyououtofyourmindthatsnotreal.com. And to end our news segment tonight, we'll bring you back to America. In Idaho, one witch's obituary has gone viral, and I'll tell you why. The obituary reads, Holly Blair exploded into glittering bats on August 17th, 2020. She is survived by four spoiled cats, two stinky dogs, three bad birds, a turtle, and an utterly useless frog named Fred, as well as three children and a husband of little to no importance. Her remains will be interred under a tree with the ridiculous multitude of animals she rescued, both wild and domestic. Her future plans include drinking beer with Terry Pratchett and flying across the moon on her broomstick on Halloween. She has also promised to communicate with us from beyond via the cockatiel psyche. We ask that everyone carve extra jack-o'-lanterns this year in her honor. All hail the Wicked Witch of Juniper Road. That about wraps up another edition of Extra Normal News. Thanks for joining us today and tune in next time. Our guest tonight has experienced something that very few people in the world will ever experience. Some call it a precognitive dream, and some call it a premonition. Amber, welcome on to Beam Screams and Dreams. How are you doing tonight? How are you? Good, thank you. So uh, when you reached out with this story, I, that was a, you know pretty much a page turn for me. I found it fascinating. Uh, wherever you feel comfortable at starting the story, uh, just go right ahead. Okay, yeah. Um... So about a couple years ago, at about 2.30 in the morning, um, my husband was getting ready for work, and he said he heard me start hyperventilating in my sleep, and it was so bad it sounded like I was having a panic attack in my sleep. So he woke me up, and I shot out of bed, and I was crying, and I kept saying I needed to call my dad over and over again. And he convinced me not to because it was like 2.30 in the morning, <laughs> so I didn't. But I basically, I had a dream um, and it felt like somebody was in my head showing me things. It was like I could feel it. It didn't feel like a normal dream. And there was two parts to it. And the second part was basically showing me something in my immediate future to prove to me that the dream was real. And that part consisted of, I, I kept seeing visions of my dad being sick and something to do with his head and possible, possibly like a terminal illness or something similar to a terminal illness. And my dad 
in real life up until I had this dream is perfectly healthy, never has to go to the hospital. People always say he looks 20 years younger than he really is. So it's not like I was having a dream worried about him because he's sick in real life. You know, it was nothing like that. So it was really weird to have this dream about him being sick, something with his head. And, and then I, the next part of the dream was me walking into work and my brother looks at me because I work with my brother and my dad and he says, hey, have you talked to dad today? And I say, no, have you? And I look around at everybody else and ask them and they all say no. And then my manager says, we've been trying to get a hold of him. He was dropping off Chris at a doctor's appointment and then he was going to go home, but he didn't answer our call. And then I heard like a voice in my dream say, that's how you'll know. Like, that's how you'll know this is real, basically. And so the next morning after I woke up, I was super like anxious. I, I was really needing to go see my dad and so my husband told me to calm down. I'm going to go to work and he's going to be there and it's going to be fine. So I get into work and the first thing that happens is my brother looks at me and says, hey, have you talked to dad today? And right when he said that, I just instantly my stomach dropped and I felt like I was going to throw up. And I looked around and I asked everyone if they had talked to him and they said no. And then my manager said, you know, hey, we tried to call him and he said he was going to go drop Chris off at his doctor's appointment and go home, but we can't get a hold of him. So I was just in a panic at that point because it was exactly like my dream had said. So I ran and called my mom and was crying and told her that, you know, something's wrong with dad. I just know that there's something wrong with him. I need you to help me find him. And so I start driving to his house first, even though I just, I knew he was at the hospital just cause that's how the, the dream made it seem like he was either at the hospital or he needed to go to the hospital. But I wanted to go to his house first because if he, something happened to him when he was alone, then he might need help. Sure. So I went there first and my grandma met me there cause my mom called her freaking out, you know, saying, hey, Amber's going crazy, <laughs> something, she thinks something happened to her dad, you know, will you go check on her? And so I'm like looking through his windows, trying to see if he's there, ringing his doorbell, and she just keeps telling me like, just go back to work, he'll probably call you back, there's no reason to think anything's wrong with him. And I just completely ignored her. And when I saw that his car wasn't there, I decided to go to the hospital. And my grandma, I told my grandma that's where I was going and she probably thought I was losing my mind at that point. <laughs> so I get in my car and I'm like racing to the hospital. And as I'm pulling into the parking lot, my mom calls me and says, okay, don't freak out, but I just got a text from your dad's phone saying that he is at the hospital. So I go in and sure enough, he's there and, um, he ended up getting a bad headache that was so bad that he went to the hospital, which is not like him. He doesn't like to go to doctors. He's an, you know, a baby boomer, typical <laughs> strong headed 
you know, boomers. So sure. he went to the hospital and he looked horrible. I've never seen him look like that before. And they ended up running a bunch of tests on him. And when they came back, it turned out he had a brain tumor. Jeez. So it was pretty much exactly like what my dream was telling me. Had you ever had a uh, precognitive dream like this before uh, this, this experience? No, nothing like this before. I'm no, not I, nothing like that has happened since then. But I, I mean, I've had some weird things happen to me before, but I've never had a dream like that before, and where I just felt compelled to act on it, or I just <laughs> knew that it was true. It was it was really weird. I just had zero doubt in my mind that he needed help. He was at the hospital. Something was seriously wrong with him. There's just no doubt in my mind. Have you ever, uh, sorry to interrupt. Have you have you ever heard the uh, term crisis apparition before? No, I haven't. So uh, there's a there's a lot of research into this topic where people will sometimes have what you had, which is uh, something similar to a, a precognitive dream about somebody that's in imminent danger, um, and other things that could happen during crisis apparitions are you know full manifestations of the person, even for those that are awake. And it actually isn't, uh, it, I wouldn't say common, but it isn't uncommon either uh, with, with these sort of things where it's usually a close family member, um, you know, a, a wife, a daughter, a son uh, that, that experiences uh, these crisis apparitions in times of need for the other. Uh, it's kind of fascinating, which is one of the reasons why I found your story so interesting. I, I never heard a firsthand account of one. There was more to that dream as well. Yeah, what, what yeah, was happening? So that part was basically to like prove to me that the first part of the dream was true. And the first part of the dream was like a, a vision of the future, but not like too far in the future, of like a dystopian, just dark future for the United States with the dictator as the leader. And I clearly saw like who the president was, but it wasn't any politician that I recognize in real life. And I follow politics pretty closely and I, I didn't recognize the person in the dream. And he had, he, he was weird. He, he didn't seem completely human. Like he had super bright, bright red eyes and he had like a huge creepy smile on his face. And he had like a, right-hand man with him that was human and I don't know if it was like his vice president or something but he had like another guy there with him working with him just the bright red eyes is really what stuck out to me it was almost like he could see me in my dream and it was like just soul piercing red eyes and it was just such a it was a just a dark just creepy future and one of the aspects was that they were sending he was he he was sending people with terminal illnesses to like a camp to be terminated and i guess this was happening with sick people and i found out after my dream that that was like a real thing that the nazis did yeah. with people with terminal illnesses who are sick like that and it, yeah, it was just super dark, creepy, dystopian future. Did it feel as though this person or this entity, you know, this um, tyrant 
was otherworldly or, you know? I, yeah, I kind of got the feeling that either he was being possessed by something or he wasn't entirely human or something like that. And, but the guy that was with him was definitely human was the vibe that I got. And I saw a thing after I had my dream a while later, I, I saw a story about the smiling man or the grinning man. I don't know if you guys have heard about that, but yeah. apparently he shows up like with the Mothman and Mothman stories. And that's right. like exactly what the guy looked like in my dream was like the grinning man. That's actually uh, one of my favorite parts of the Mothman story. That's uh... interesting that you said that because we actually discussed that specific uh, part of the Mothman prophecy earlier today. today. Yeah. yeah, that was uh, <laughs> the character, I believe his name was Injured Cold. Yeah. Who had yeah. appeared. Uh, I can't remember the exact name of the person who had spoken with him, but it appeared outside of Point Pleasant, kind of stopping the car and speaking to this man telepathically and had the yeah. crazy smile he couldn't wipe off his face. It's absolutely chilling. It was crazy because, yeah, and right after I had my dream, I drew a picture of the guy and I tried to find it, but I couldn't find it. And my husband and I, when we were watching The Grinning Man, he was like, that looks exactly like the picture that you drew. And it, it did. It looked exactly like him. It was really creepy. Wow. If you ever find that picture, we'd love to see <laughs> yeah, it. We would, we would absolutely I'm, love to I'm share literally that. literally got goosebumps right now. We did. We, it's <laughs> yeah. incredible. We totally spoke about that today between the two of us. Like, not even to do with the show. Yeah, I was like, man, I don't even know how it came up either. I, don't know. I was like, the creepiest part to me is the, is that injured cold character, yeah. you know? Yeah. Just, so when you saw this um, in your dream, were you, like, present? Was this kind of like a rally or... Were you seeing this um, politician on TV? How did that come about? It was like I could see him in like his office. It was like I was in a room watching him. And then at, towards the end of the dream, he turned and looked at me. Like he could see me looking at him and, and it, it like scared me awake. That, that must have been right around the time your, your husband had seen you kind of uh, hyperventilating in your sleep have you yeah. ever had uh, any kind of like night terrors or anything like that before uh, this this instance no nothing even close to that I've never had scary dreams that woke me up like that nothing nothing like that and did it feel similar to how you explained your um, your father's portion of the dream where there was someone kind of leading you through to see that yeah, it felt like someone was like there in my head showing me these things and going from one thing to the next and it was it was just really weird. And then they, they also showed me like a like an aerial view of my neighborhood and like the message that I got from that was like that this person was trying to also contact other people. Oh, like, wow. I don't know if they like, literally met other people in my neighborhood, but it, it was just clear that they were trying to talk to other people as well, not just me. That's truly bizarre. And I, know. I know at one point you said you heard a voice in your head that said, you know, this is how you will know. What, what did that voice sound like to you? 
it was just like a deep sort of deep voice is basically all I can describe it was it scary no it, the voice wasn't scary no almost seems like a, a guided dream to, yeah. to show you these things yeah you know. that's what it felt like mm -hmm. man and uh you know uh, I hope your father's doing all right as well yeah, he is doing good right now. So it, he ended up having surgery and it was successful. And so far, nothing else has come up. So Well, Amber, thank you uh, so much for coming and sharing your story. It was truly incredible. I had goosebumps Absolutely. a couple of times during yeah. that one. It was really, great. Really and something else. Don't, don't hesitate to send that picture if you find it. We'd love to see okay. that. Yeah, yeah, I definitely will. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, thank you for your time, Amber. You have a good night. Thank you, you too. For our final guest tonight, we introduce you to Casey Hughes, paranormal investigator, here to give us a glimpse as to what might lie on the other side. Casey, welcome to Beam Screams and Dreams. How are you? Hey. I'm good. How are you? Not bad at all, you know. Very uh, good. Been running through a, a couple of great interviews tonight and uh, excited to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So uh, when did you start uh, your investigations into the paranormal? What brought you into the world of the paranormal? So um, I started off, I was a tour guide at a really popular um, paranormal destination in West Virginia. I've always had a strong interest in the paranormal since I was a kid. Um, I've definitely have had experiences that I couldn't explain happened to me and uh, and then um this job called out to me and so i was like this is kind of my way into paranormal investigating and ever since then i've just like i've developed an obsession with it and i can't stop so. and with some of the experiences you've had uh before you started paranormal investigating had you always known that that was something that was paranormal or spirit related or was the verification found once you became a paranormal investigator? So my parents were actually explaining to me when I was a kid that I would say very far out there things and even use words that no four-year-old kid should be using. And I guess that one of our older houses we lived in when I was a kid, um, I used the word apparition to <laughs> describe something that I saw in our house. And I was telling a story about the, the place that I worked at and I was telling my dad how I saw someone in my group saw a full body apparition and he was like you used to wear that use that word when you were a kid all the time you would you would describe things in our house as an apparition and I have no clue how a four-year-old would describe that so I guess it started there and then I feel like I'm kind of just you know gaining that insight with that again the more I investigate around here so how long have you been doing it since you started uh, and doing your paranormal investigating? So a, a little over a year I've been serious with investigating as far as gathering equipment and going out and investigating myself. And do you feel more intuitive now that you've had that experience? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So with your uh, investigation tools, I've watched some of your videos. I know, I know you use uh, infrared um, do you also use spirit boxes, anything like that to, to get your EVPs? I've heard a couple of EVPs you recorded 
which I guess actually yeah. is technically different than uh, using a spirit box. Can you tell us a right. little bit about your process and uh, your in, in investigatory process? I feel like EVPs are kind of the most profound thing that you can find in paranormal investigating because that's one thing that you can't really explain, a voice that responds to you that's not even there. And then um, as far as spirit box, go box goes, sorry, excuse me. Um, I use what I call the, or it's been coined as the Estes method. And that, this was coined in Estes, Colorado at the, at the Stanley Hotel. That's a, and, um, a Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what you do is you basically put headphones or noise canceling headphones into the spirit box. And as opposed to just listening to the radio frequencies out loud with a group of people, you have someone interpreting that themselves. So they have no idea what you're asking them. And so you're, I feel like you're getting a more genuine experience. And also you're hearing um, noises around you, you know, as far as shuffling goes. So I like to keep it simple. Those two are kind of my, my things as far as investigating goes. And I feel like I get the most authentic experience when I use just, you know, EVP recordings and SD session as far as spirit box. So with the uh, SD sessions, when you wear the noise canceling headphones, um, are you writing down the, the things that you'll hear as they happen? I, I don't write them down. I will always make sure that I'm recording so I can go back and reference to that. Um, as far as writing it down, that's a, that's kind of a good idea. Actually, I should consider doing that. <laughs> I, you know, just out of curiosity, I wasn't sure, you know, cause there's usually more than one person involved in a session. So, you know, you have somebody right. there running the box and asking questions and somebody listening on, you know, I didn't know if the answers mm -hmm. usually are, uh, you know, I'm a little bit familiar with the method, but I didn't know if the answers were normally just verbalized or written. So whenever you're out on um, an investigation, do you typically, or have you done, um, say, an outdoor and an indoor or something mixed both? Like, what do you feel has been, like, the most rewarding, I guess? Like, what's been the most mm -hmm. uh, prolific experience? Um, I'm still experimenting uh, with both right now. Um, we actually filmed at Lake Shawnee back in July. And that was just that was a whole new experiment for me because I never filmed in that kind of like we had the whole property of Lake Shawnee to ourselves. And that was um, the whole property outside. I've never experienced anything like that. It was just a different it was it was very um, the only word I can really think of that pops in my brain right now is magical because it just felt there's just like a whole energy there that I couldn't even explain unless you go there. Um, but I definitely feel like being outside is just in that sense, a little stronger, you know, it's, it's more comfortable. It's more free roaming. And then being inside, you kind of feel a little, it's, it, it can make it a little scarier in a sense because you're kind of entrapped with, you know, everything going on around you. Whatever might be there with you exactly yeah so yeah. can you tell us a little bit about the uh lake shawnee property and a little bit of the history about that where you did uh, your last investigation in a nutshell the first white settlers that traveled to west virginia settled there but what they didn't realize or i guess even acknowledge or care at the time was that there were native american settlers already there on the lake shawnee tribe um so as they settled there a big battle broke out between it, they, they were the clay family and the Shawnee Native Americans, and it ended up really bad. And the people that inherited the property after that didn't realize that there was an Indian burial ground on the property, and they built an amusement park. So, I mean, it almost sounds like a horror movie in itself. Just, you yeah. know, someone builds, 
you know, we've all seen poltergeist. <laughs> so with that uh, native burial ground, was that a burial ground that was previously there or was that a direct result where the clay family had buried the natives they had slain there? Do you know? That was actually previously there um, oh, wow. because they, they had real, I think that they had, they're still, honestly, they're, from what I've talked to from the property owner, they are still investigating the, you know, remains that have been left on the property, but they speculate that there may be hundreds of remains there. So I think that this was just like the remains of the, um, set, the Native Americans that have lived there before. This wasn't related to the actual battle that happened. From your last investigation too, we got, uh, on your YouTube channel, a pretty incredible clip. Uh, you might yeah. go ahead and show that clip right now. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. All right. absolutely incredible spooky yeah, yeah. Uh, i mean the the grinning face uh standing there and the movement just you can see it just go all I know. yeah it moves from one window to the next and it's still there and so that you recorded that on infrared mm -hmm. yeah so the rest so of that the wouldn't time, have been my reflection <laughs> yeah the rest of the time you guys are standing there you aren't seeing anything and then you only see this later when you're reviewing the infrared video. Uh, yeah, you, exactly. Mm -hmm. You also had quite an uh, incredible backstory on this clip. Can you give us a little insight into that? Yeah, so, and this was actually at the very end of our tour before um, the, the guy that was showing us around the property let us loose for the night. He was telling us that his brother had owned that bus. And his brother um, traveled with carnivals. He made license plates for people at carnivals and he owned that bus. And um, I guess that that wasn't the first time people have seen faces or people standing on that bus before. And he even asked me what he thought my theory was on that because he knew I was a paranormal investigator. I was like, I really think that people, when they, when they pass on, I think that whatever possession they kind of like, or place that they hold on to most, they're gonna, they're gonna stay there. Like, you know, they just have a sense of comfort, you know, when they're in between wherever they're supposed to go next after they pass away, they kind of hold on to that spot. So that could explain why he was there. Obviously, I mean, he lived in that bus, he traveled in it. So I'm sure that's where he felt at home. So, and um, yeah, it was just like how he's grinning at me. It just made me like, think of it right away if you traveled at carnivals it was just you know he's um, smiling at us yeah yeah I mean, you can see the the cheeks you know yeah it almost smile. looks like he comes up like closer yeah, to it kinda, he's like looking back like out guys. at you like yeah well i couldn't get my microphone working at the time too but um i actually even asked it as i was like up there i was like if anyone's on this bus right now if you want to just like show yourself to me Go ahead and show yourself. And then it was at that moment when his face showed up like that. 
I couldn't believe it. That was honestly one of the coolest things I've caught on camera. <laughs> I would be pretty stoked about that too. But also yeah. like, well, I guess it's good that you don't see it or I wouldn't see uh, it right see away because I would time, run and be out of there. Yeah, <laughs> the camera shaking in the yeah. opposite direction. <laughs> you know yeah yeah so we we were just there you know we had a really cool night there it was just we had a honestly it ended up just being a great camping trip for us you know we're like all right well we'll go over footage but we didn't really catch anything in front of us at the time that was scary so and then i went through that footage and found that <laughs> it blew my mind so do things like that um when you do go back and look at footage or recordings and you do see something um does it deter you from doing this or does it excite you to want to do it more? Oh, it makes me want to do it more. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Hands down. <laughs> I'm very curious. So, so yeah. You've also worked at the uh, Trans Allegheny. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us a little bit about that and uh, your experiences there and maybe one of the most memorable experiences you've had there? It took me a while there. I, I feel like they kind of fill you out <laughs> before they kind of start showing themselves to be paranormal like but um there was this uh the the most profound thing that has happened to me there and i tell i would tell everyone this on my tours was um there is this bathroom in the children's ward of the asylum and um there's a man that people have gotten there through a spirit box and he presents himself to be a male in his 50s and his name is ben and what's kind of weird about that that you think about is that it's a man in his 50s that's in a children's ward's bathroom. Right. Ooh, so, yeah. Bad yeah, so, yeah. 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 So it's bad. And a lot of the experience that happened there, like there's a bathtub you can sit in and you can see if he'll mess with you. And people have reported getting their hair touched and had their back touched. Yeah. My first night as a guide, a friend of mine was actually doing an SD session in the bathtub next to me. And they were asking how they felt about Casey, the new guide. And I felt like what someone, like what it feels like when someone pulls your hair behind your ear. I felt that behind me. And the spirit box, or Valerie interpreted, interpreted on the spirit box, I want her. Oh. And I, st I like dropped my equipment. I stood up, I'm like, I'm done, nope done here <laughs> and then she goes through her evp recorder and as soon as she says that on the spirit box an evp comes through with a man whispering i want her wow and so you, so they were only females yeah Come back to that room a lot then of course because that, that sounds like a great time oh, yeah. <laughs> Is that, so did, you, did you actually steer away from that room after that or you know with tours and stuff, did you have to bring be people back into there after after something? Oh yeah, I did. I mean, that's my that's my main story. I I have to, and you know, a lot of times my girls be like, "Oh, will, will you sit in the tub for us again?" I'm like, I mean, I guess <laughs> I guess I have to now. But um, I've noticed when I tell that story in that bathroom, I get a lot of um, cussing and negative uh responses on the spirit box like he just kind of he doesn't like when you talk about him or you know notion the fact that he's maybe a pervert <laughs> yeah so he, he kind of relies on the the element of surprise there so if it was your first time you know he feels like maybe he's got you in his grasp after that if you talk about him and you kind of know his name uh he's seems more angry just kind of upset about that huh exactly yeah mm -hmm. so have you found 
with any of your experiences thus far, something that is more positive or something that is, doesn't seem scary, something that's not creepy, you know, something that you would consider to be like, okay, that's just like benevolent and like- So maybe even like mm -hmm. reaffirming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Honestly, not yet. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm pretty hopeful. I, I guess that um, I haven't been to so many locations where there's been a bunch of positive history. I will say at Lake Shawnee, um, and the guide was even telling us this there, it did not feel, I didn't sense any kind of like violent or negativity there. Like even like out at the swing ride, you know, or I, you'll see on my video, I caught that EVP of that, the hay coming through. Um, it, it just, it, yeah, it felt very friendly and, you know, childlike there. And Hang on a second, Casey, you're, uh, you were uh, frozen again, sorry. Oh, you're good. You're good. You're good now. Go back to where you said that um, that the Lake Shawnee experience wasn't like negative. Oh no, that was that was honestly that was I slept like a baby that night. Like we we both did. Josh and I both did. It was a very I felt very um, it was almost like I I was felt protected there. It was something unreal. I know not a lot of people could say that about spending the night on a haunted amusement park. <laughs> alone but it it was a very comfortable and safe place i felt at the time and i don't i wasn't expecting that when we were there we we're actually kind of nervous driving down because when we got there the guy told us he's like you guys have the whole property to yourselves and we're like oh boy <sighs> hopefully we last <laughs> but no so there's been a, a kind of a a trend and it's even a little bit of an ongoing joke in the paranormal community that the uh, folks that have like ghost hunter shows right now are kind of rude a little bit to these ghosts when they go into places yeah. they seem like they're kind of yelling at them like hey show yourself you know um and mm -hmm. and that's kind of almost like become a little bit of an ongoing joke in the paranormal community what yeah how do you approach it differently and uh do you think that your intent when you do an investigation makes a lot of a lot of the difference i always try to leave offerings as far as like tobacco and alcohol go, like I try to leave offerings. I try to, you, cause the thing is you're in their domain. It's like when you go swimming in the ocean with sharks and you get mad cause you got bit by a shark. It's like, you know, you're in their territory. You know what you signed up for, you know what you're in for. I mean, you can't really be mad when you provoke someone and then you get scratched or something. And yeah. I just try to, I just, I've noticed, um, it may not be the same kind of activity. I know some people just want to go out there and get scratched and get hit so they can just show it off. But I just, I want to, I'm in here for research purposes and I want to learn so I can even possibly help these spirits with, if they need help with something. So I try to go in, you know, in a very respectable way and just ask them what they need and, you know, what I can do to help possibly and just gain information because it's, it's research. It really is. And I know that everyone has their different methods, but my method is co going in there a little warmer, a little nicer and, you know, leaving offerings. Um, I'm glad we have you out there. You know, we can't be uh, having these guys give all humans uh, and the living a bad reputation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was something like that, you know, I think putting your best foot forward uh, is, is probably the right approach. Uh, you know, I've mm -hmm. seen several investigations of uh, places, even like the, uh, the Sally house, for instance, where, uh, you know, there've been a lot of people that go in there and they have an okay time, you know, and uh, other people that will go in there and will have 
giant scratch marks on their back after a night of screaming and uh, provoking. And, and Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sally House is a great example of that. <laughs> yeah, kind of being able to put your uh, best foot forward, especially when you're uh, stepping into something that you, you really don't know probably and you know you know what that entity's intention is probably putting your best foot forward is is the way to go sure exactly yeah. i would i would agree because i do think that as some of our other guests have mentioned um we're moving towards the world's moving towards a place of like finding more of that positive aspect in people and so if we're you know looking at our past people as well and not really acknowledging time, then we probably should be giving them our best too. Yeah. And acknowledging them with like love and care that we would with any living being. And exactly. maybe, do you think that that's maybe why we don't find a lot of positive ghost experiences because they are just ascended essentially? Yeah, I I absolutely think so. I, I don't know, I, I just, I think that we're gonna get more solid answers that are going to be more profound to us over time if we put more positivity into it instead of just you know just going out and yelling like come get me and all this yeah. <laughs> like you know what what they all do i just i don't know it's it's a different approach and i'm willing to keep trying that you have to be patient with it though you know what i mean you can't just go out there and expect something to happen right away it's that's part of the research too uh so yeah. what, do you, what do you have on the radar uh, for the future uh, with your paranormal investigations and uh, where would you like to see? I, I try to go to as many places as I can that, you know, permit you to go on properties, but obviously that's not always the case. I've had Waverly, um, Waverly Hills. Was that Waverly Manor? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've had that place on my radar. Um, I've honestly, I've been trying to uh, look up newer places that people haven't researched that much. There is a battlefield not too far away from where I grew up in West Virginia called Droop Battlefield. And there have actually been Bigfoot sightings there. Um, and I just haven't seen any videos really of people investigating there. So I want to try that place out too. That's pretty interesting too. So is that a Civil, uh, Civil War battlefield? Yep. And that, that makes you ask the question too, you know, uh, is that just a, a weird nexus if there's Bigfoot sightings and uh, a couple of paranormal uh, experiences happening there? What, what is the energy of that place, you know? And what's your YouTube channel called? Um, Hex, yeah. It's um, H-E-X-Y-E-A. That's Hex, yeah, on YouTube. And Casey, thank you mm -hmm. uh, so much for coming to uh, talk with us tonight and sharing your clips. We hope to see a lot more in the future and uh oh yeah absolutely mm -hmm. once again well, thank thanks for being on beam screams and dreams thank you to all the guests that appeared on our show tonight your boldness and willingness to share your stories and experiences speak extraordinarily to the content of your character. And thank you to the viewers and listeners for tuning in to another episode of Beams, Dreams, and Dreams. You can reach out and share your story with us through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or email, or just to keep in touch with updates about episode releases and merch coming out. We leave you again tonight with a quote by Swiss chemist, Dr. Albert Hoffman. 
What one commonly takes as the reality, including the reality of one's own individual person, by no means signifies something fixed, but rather something that is ambiguous. That there is not only one, but that there are many realities, each comprising also a different consciousness of the ego. Thank you for tuning in to Beam Screams and Dreams. Until next time.